0: God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to just take a moment and listen. Silence, right? Relatively so. There's a few noises here and there. But there's there's silence, and as we heard this silence, it wasn't just silence, and silence is never really just silence, but while you were silent, while there was no noise coming out of our mouth or no sound coming from us, there was something going on. Maybe you were th- sitting there thinking, what are we listening for? Because I told you to listen. And yet while we sat there, there was really no significant noise at all. Maybe you're wondering, okay, what's the point of just sitting there and listening? Maybe you you just kind of zoned out immediately and started looking at your watch, and you weren't listening at all, but still there was silence. I've found kind of more and more that you can't really just say it was silent. There's always almost a modifier that needs to go on the front of silence. So if you're talking to someone that you know a little bit, and you're trying to have conversation, and there's a silence during that conversation, usually that's, that's an awkward silence. You're trying to find ways to talk to them, but it's, it's an awkward silence. There's the silence that's kind of agreed-upon silence. You know, when you travel, and you go on the plane, and you're in the middle seats between two people, and you say hello, and they say hi, and then they look at their phone, and you agree to be silent the rest of the trip and not talk to them. You agree it. It's not awkward, it's agreed upon. You maybe have the silence that's just comfortable. So you're around people that you know very well, and you don't really have anything to say, so you just sit with them. It's not awkward, it's not really agreed upon, it's just there. It's a comfortable silence. So it always seems as if when you say it's silent, you have to describe it. What kind of silence is there? Well, there's a painful silence, too, as well. And as parents very much realize with their kids, it is really painful. So you, I told you only last month that a child at Abe's daycare died suddenly. Walking into that daycare, the silence there was just heavy. The teachers couldn't say anything, they were all in shock, and the parents were all in shock too, and so when you walked in there, it was a very heavy silence, and even though it wasn't my child, and even though I knew my child was safe, you just felt for the parents who lost a child. So it was heavy silence. You think of the silence of the people in Florida who lost children, and the kids who were at that school. The silence that was there, and every, it's almost as if every single silence there is a difficult silence. So if you were one of those parents that heard there was a shooting at your kid's school and there were fatalities, you can imagine just how oppressive that silence was waiting to hear from your kid to hear if they're all right. And then there's a silence afterwards. The silence of not really knowing why this man did what he did. It's mind-boggling how the sinful mind and the sinful heart can, can somehow come up with a solution of, of this foolish killing to help himself when there's really no help found there. In killing people, he finds himself in jail, in prison, and ultimately standing before a judge, possibly his, his life. But you see just how difficult sometimes silence can be. And sometimes when it's silence, we turn to God and we ask, okay, we know, Lord, that you are in control of all things. You knew, we know that you'll take care of things for us, but how long and how much, how much of this will we have to endure? And it's silent. It happens again and again, and there's just silence. And we really wonder, what, what Lord? Today, in Genesis, God comes to Abraham and he asked him to do the unimaginable. He comes to Abraham and he says, Then God said, verse 2 in Genesis 22, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. God knew that Abraham loved Isaac. You hear it in the words that God says, Take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and he asks him to go and kill him. Go sacrifice the son that you love. Not only that, but I would argue that Isaac is more significant child in history than even our children. Because you know what God said about Isaac? He said, through Isaac, the nations of the world will be blessed. Meaning that through Isaac will come the Savior, Jesus. And here God's coming to Abraham and saying to Abraham, you go, take your son, and you sacrifice him to me, no questions asked. And after that, it's almost as if there is Silence. How could Abraham do such an unimaginable thing? Parents love their children. They, they want to keep their children safe. And here God says, Go kill the very person that you have been promised, Isaac. And, that it, when, and if you kill him, you're virtually killing off the promise of a Savior for the entire world. Why would Abraham ever possibly think about doing that? But then we see Abraham and what he does. And it boggles us some more. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey and took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance you realize God didn't tell Abraham to take Isaac out back and kill him right away. He said, take your son and go to the place where I tell you. And here we learn it was three days away. Abraham had to travel with Isaac for three whole days, understanding what he was supposed to do to his loved son, his only son, he had time, and you can imagine those three days. He was thinking about this over and over again as he he loved his son and he loved his Lord. What was he going to do? How was he going to do it? And what would come of this? What good could come of killing Isaac? And there was silence. Not once does it say that God came to, to Abraham and explained it all. God didn't come to Abraham and say. Abraham, I'm doing this to test your faith, to challenge you, to show you that I still love you and that what I have in store for you is for your good. Not once did Abraham hear that along the journey. So you can imagine how hours and days probably felt like years for Abraham how silence just just tormented him as he walked along ever closer to the the place where he knew he had to do the thing that he didn't want to do to kill his only son. And when he got there, he turned to the servants and he said, let me find the verse here, said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Did you catch it in that verse? He said, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. This kind of tells you what Abraham was thinking that entire journey. Those three days, he thought to himself the promise of Isaac. And the promise that came through Isaac, the Savior. And he couldn't rationalize how he could go up a mountain and not come down with Isaac. That's why he said, we will come back to you, because he understood that only through Isaac will this promise be fulfilled. And if it's not fulfilled through Isaac, then God's a liar. And so he said to his servants, we will come back to you, me and Isaac. Abraham knew God was doing something. He didn't hear him. God was still silent at that point, but he, he understood. Not only that, but then as Abraham and Isaac are walking up that mountain, Isaac, being a smart kid that he is, turns to Abraham. says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham didn't tell Isaac, he was silent. For three days, Abraham traveled and he didn't tell a single soul. It was only him and God that knew what was happening. And so as he's going up the mountain, Isaac asked him, where's the sacrifice? We have everything else. And Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And The two of them went on together. There's one author that says, from this moment on, it was silent between Isaac and Abraham. He says, that must have been an oppressive silence, knowing what Abraham would have to do to his own son. And maybe Isaac recognizing it to a degree, but as they built that altar, as they put the wood on that altar, he says, "Oh, that must have been such an oppressive silence. Silence. And as Abraham promised, he took his son, put him on the altar. So it says, when they reached the place, Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And we're all standing there saying, Abraham, stop. How can you do this? How can you do such an unimaginable thing? It's your son. Your son who you love. Yet we begin to see Abraham and the character that God built in Abraham that Abraham could go and do this just on a command with no explanation, with no direction besides follow where I show you and then sacrifice your son with no conclusion to this. Abraham was able to do this because that's how God dealt with Abraham his entire life, in silence. God came to Abraham and Sarah when they were younger and he said, go take everything in your household, pick it up and go to a place that I show you. And Abraham did. He didn't know exactly where he was going. Then God came to Abraham and Sarah and he said, you know what, I'm going to give you a son. His name will be Isaac. And Abraham and Isaac were far beyond their childbearing years. And they wondered, how could this possibly be? And I, Abraham, even, he even doubted God. They even tried to to make this promise happen without God. And then here, go kill your son. In silence. But what Abraham discovered was that while God was silent, it didn't mean he was doing nothing. God was working in his silence. That that promise that he would bring them to a new land, God brought them there. He showed Abraham, this is the land that your descendants will inhabit. The promise of the son that, that took so long, it was years before Isaac was born, after the promise that God has given. And even though they, they strayed from God's promises and doubted him and sinfully acted towards God, in the end, God gave him a son, Isaac. And it finally seemed like Abraham was listening. He was listening to God's silence. As he stood there about to sacrifice his son, he listened to God, understanding that God would do exactly what he promised to do. And it was for Abraham's good and for the good of the whole world because God had done it again and again and again. And so what reason to doubt now? Why not go on a command and sacrifice your son when God says it? Because he loves his God and God has loved him and God worked in that silence. So Abraham picks up that knife, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me. Or your son, your only son. But Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horn. He went over, took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided." Abraham listened and he saw how God worked. Abraham listened even while it was silent. He obeyed God's commands even though he was headed towards a road that he didn't want to face, a situation he didn't want to face. He listened, he followed God, and he found out as he follows God, it works out better than not following God. When God makes a promise, he's going to keep that promise. And he even says in Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham rationalized to himself on the top of that mountain that God can bring people back from the dead. So that even if he killed Isaac, God would bring him back to the dead and keep that promise of eternal Savior alive. Abraham understood God's silence. As we look at God and we see silence in our life, our journey does not go where we want it, not for one of us. When there are such challenges in our life and we sit here and we ask God, where are you? Why are not you tell me what to do? Just speak up, Lord. He remains silent. But in his silence, he does something Miraculous. In silence, he spares no expense to bring us to himself. He brought Abraham from doubt to confidence. From unbelief to belief. And another author says that, that moment between Isaac and, and Abraham, if that was silence, he says, that's the most poignant and eloquent silence there is in all of literature. Because in that, God is working on Abraham to trust him even more. To bring him confidence. To leave doubt behind. Abraham discovered God spares no expense. Even when he's silent. And that mountain is a perfect example of it. As Abraham believed, Isaac was as good as dead, that he would have to kill him. And yet, God said, Abraham, I have a replacement for Isaac. There's a ram over there. Isaac will not have to die. In the same way, we are stuck there under death, about to be pierced by our sins. And yet, God sends a sacrifice to put in our place. He takes us off the altar and he puts a sacrifice on the altar that is not just a ram, it is Christ. Christ was our sacrifice, he died in our place. And throughout all that silence we forget that Christ is there, he died for our sins so that we would not face death. And so in the silence of God we discover he has given us everything. That's what silence of God does. He may not speak to us, but He's there working for us. In silence, God's works. That's what Abraham discovered that day on the mountain with Isaac. And that's what you and I discover and will discover. God's promises, they do not change. As far away as our journey may take us from those promises, he brings us right back in the end. Because it was on that mountain, that very same mountain, and it's not a coincidence, that Abraham and Isaac stood, that's where Christ was crucified. Same mountain. So we see in our silences of our life, our troubles, our challenges. Silence is a good thing because we already have the statement of God that your sins are forgiven. I've exchanged your life for mine. I am your king. I will give everything for you. I spare no expense so that you might have eternal life and that is what you have. Believe it. May you come from unbelief, from doubt to confidence. As Abraham discovered it, as we will continue to discover it, our king spares no expense. Amen. Please stand. We continue by confessing our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed printed for you on page 5 in your bulletin. We confess our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was crucified by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit. It's Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Congregation, you may be seated. Uh, if you are a visitor here, do not feel obligated to give an offering, but give it all the joy of your hearts.